listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. So I want to show you this because as we go through these, you'll say, well, that doesn't seem super like a supernatural. You know, if you're expecting to come on and hear like these seek, like it's like the history channel, the secret hidden keys found in a cave that will break you the wealth of God. That's I'm going to show you things that you're going to look at them and say that, you know, God said that that seems so practical. That seems so natural. It's because it is God's giving you God's giving you practical tips in his word that were breathed out of his mouth. Remember that God is wisdom. Remember that God is wisdom. You know why some of the things that people do even in the secular world work? Do you know why that you can go to Barnes and Noble and many of these bestseller books for personal finance and management and leadership skills? You know why they're effective? Because they're actually borrowing principles from the word of God, literally. And you can see it. And, I, and I'm sure you'll catch some of that today as we're going through these seven things. God is wisdom. And so people borrow his principles and act like it's a man-made thing. It's not man-made. He actually breathed these things out of his mouth. And so I want you to understand as we're going through these things today, it will help you. It will help you to see how you can go from where you are currently into supernatural wealth. Does God, and I want to say something because I'll start teaching on this. And you know what people will always say? Always. They'll say, well, if you believe that God wants um, his children to be wealthy, what about all those poor Christians in such and such a country? And they'll list a country or a continent. What about all those Christians in such and such a country? Well, let me just say this. Do you, you know, I, I also believe it's God's will for every believer to be healed. So am I going to go around and say, well, what about all those sick Christians in such and such a country or in the United States of America? What about all the sick Christians if it's God's will? Let me give you another one. I also believe that it's God's will for everybody to be saved. I believe that he wants the lost to be saved. He's willing that none should perish. I know every Christian doesn't believe that. I mean, there's many Christians that don't believe it's God's desire for every individual to be saved. But I do. You know, those of us that are Pentecostal, we believe that, that God has a desire for every man and every woman to be saved, and he's willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, will will all be saved? No. Are there sinners? Yes. Will some people go to hell? Absolutely. But that doesn't change his desire. Doesn't change his desire. His desire is that people be saved from sin and eternal death and separation from him. His desire is that people be healed and not suffer sickness and disease. His desire is that people walk in joy and in peace and don't have chronic depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. His desire is that his children be wealthy and not lack and not go from paycheck to paycheck and be in uh, crushing debt that brings all kinds of stress and pressure on their relationships and marriage. That's not God's desire for you. Not at all. Not at all. And you can see 
You can see even in the Old Testament, in the way that he interacted with Israel, his children, that his desire for them was that they abound. His desire for them was that they had an abundance, was that they had more than enough. His desire for them, of course, as we'll see in a moment, was that they be the lender and not the borrower. You'll lend to many nations and you shall never borrow. That was his desire under an Old Testament covenant. That was his desire all the way back then. So, you know, you come now into a New Testament covenant um, where the Bible says that we have a better covenant established upon better promises. So you understand that if God was willing to do something like that in the Old Testament, you know, you tell me he's doing less now under a better covenant than he did back then under a worse or inferior covenant? No, absolutely not. It's God's will that his children be blessed and abound, that his children be blessed and that they abound. I'll say this, if you look at the character and the nature of God in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus makes a point. Good morning, Daryl. Jesus makes a point to teach us that God is a perfect, loving, heavenly father and that he gives good gifts to those that ask him that he doesn't make you suffer with a stone if you want bread. He doesn't make you suffer with a serpent if you want a fish. His nature is that he's one who blesses, brings increase, brings overflow to his children. Love you, Randy. So I want you to see this with me today. I'm going to give you these seven keys that are going to help you understand from God's perspective in the word how you can become a wealthy believer, which is God's desire for you. It's God's desire for you. Without question, it is. Don't ever doubt it again. God wants you to overflow financially. He wants you to be blessed financially. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, that though he was poor, this time about Christ, yet for your, uh, though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor that through his poverty, he could make you rich. Now, I've dealt with this before, but uh, when did he become poor? He became poor on the cross, the same time that he took sickness onto his body. Jesus was never sick, but he took sickness and, and crucified it. Jesus never sinned, but 2 Corinthians 5 tells us he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So he took these things upon himself to destroy them so that we would have a covenant and an ability to walk in the greater things that he's promised us. Um, one of my favorite verses to quote is Revelation 5, 11 and 12. This is where we uh, took the confession for our Miracle Word kids, posters and boxes and everything. These seven things we confess over our children are found in Revelation 5, 11 and 12. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive. Now here's the seven things that he was slain to receive. Number one, power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Seven things. So one of the second thing that we're talking about is wealth. And it doesn't mean spiritual wealth. It means natural, physical wealth and riches. Now, none of the, Jesus didn't have to die to receive these things for himself. He already had them. Jesus already had power before he died. He had power. 
That's why he was able to lay down his life. It's why he was able to take it back up again. It's why he could raise the dead. It's why he could cleanse the leper. It's why he could heal the sick and cast out devils. He already had power. Jesus already had wealth. He already had wisdom. He already had might. He already had honor and glory and blessing. He already had it. But we did not. We needed what he has. And so through this redemptive act, he transferred these things to his church, to his body. And so he has a desire that you become wealthy, that you don't lack any good thing. He didn't want his Old Testament church to lack any good thing. The Old Testament people of God, I say church, there was no actual church until the New Testament, but his Old Testament people, the the Jews, the Israelites, he didn't want them lacking. And you know, one of the things that's wonderful is that we can see a picture of God's desire for his children. Did you know that um, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, when they were delivered, their exodus out of Egypt, did you know that that was a picture of salvation to come through Christ? Did you know that Moses, the deliverer, was a type of Christ in the Old Testament? He was a type of Christ. What does that mean? It's just a picture It's just a, uh, if you want to call it this from literature, it was just foreshadowing of what was going to happen in the new covenant. And so Moses was a type of Christ and Egypt was a type of bondage to sin and death and the devil, Pharaoh, a type of the devil. What does that mean? That the Jews, which represents God's people, were in bondage and in slavery in that time, literally they were, but it was also a picture of slavery to sin. Pharaoh, a type of Satan. Moses, a type of Christ. And he came and led those people out of sin. That's the picture, but it was actual slavery. And out of bondage. Well, one of my favorite verses is found in the book of Psalms. And Psalms tells us that when they came out of bondage, and I'm sure if Billion's on, she'll post this verse of scripture, the Bible says that when he led them out of Egypt, that they were, they, they were led out. Of course, you know, they had the silver and the gold that they plundered from the Egyptians. And the Bible says there was not a feeble one among them. Now, if you go with the low end, just go with the low end estimate of how many Jews were in the wilderness that were leaving Egypt, two to three million. That's the low end. Two to three million people. Go to the high end, four to six million, four to six million people. So whether it was two to three million or four to six, all right, Julie, we'll see you later, or four to six, think about this. All of them, two to three million or four to six million left Egypt and there wasn't a, not one feeble one among them, not one. They all came out healthy. They all came out strong. None were sick. None were diseased. None were crippled. They were all carrying the gold, silver, and the treasure across the desert, through the Red Sea. You understand? It was literally God's foreshadowing of salvation. So notice the three things they came out with. They came out with their deliverance from bondage. That's their salvation from sin. In the New Testament, they came out not a feeble one among them. That's healing and health and strength purchased by the blood of Jesus. And they came out with all of the silver and all of the gold that they took from the Egyptians. That's wealth being restored. That is wealth and prosperity being restored. 
These three things are seen in the exodus of God's people from Israel, and there are three things that are promised to us in the New Testament as believers, that we have access to that covenant by Christ Jesus and his blood. So I want you to see, I preface this today because I want you to understand it's God's desire for you to be wealthy. It's not just somebody getting on Facebook and Periscope and, and YouTube and, and, and trying to push some agenda, you know, that, that, well, Western Christians believe that, you know, everybody should have plenty of money and blah. No, it, it's, you know, this was in the scripture all the way back thousands of years ago that God told them, I'll even give you the power to get wealth, to make and produce wealth, Deuteronomy 8.18. So that's not something that was developed in Washington, D.C. or by some American Christian in New York City or in you know Miami, Florida. That's, that's not who developed that verse of scripture. God said that to his children. God is the one who promised them. I'll bless you coming in. I'll bless you going out. Your basket and your storehouse will be blessed. He said, I'll open up the rich treasury of the heavens and pour out blessings upon you and your family. It'll go to a thousand generations. So God planned that. God did it. It was not men who invented that. God planned it, and it's still available today. So I want to give you from Scripture uh, in the time that we have, and we'll cover these, seven principles or seven keys from Scripture that will make you wealthy. People say, well, they only believe that in the Western churches. You know, they only believe that in the West. You go overseas and everybody's, everybody's poor. There are wealthy believers overseas. Do you know that the wealthiest uh, churches in the world are in third world nations. The wealthiest and largest churches in the world that are making the most impact in the world are not in America. They're not in Europe. They're in third world nations. So explain that to me if you can, that this is just something that operates in Western Christianity in Europe and in America. And you know, it's not, how do you explain the fact that the, the most impactful, the most powerful, the, the largest and fastest growing and most wealthy churches are not even in America and they're not even in Western Europe. They're in third world nations. How do you explain that in nations where there are currently financial crises and there's still the wealthiest churches and most impactful in the world. It's because it has nothing to do with where you live geographically. It has everything to do with understanding your covenant by the word of God. As my cousin says, Abraham was not from Washington, D.C. Abraham was not from New York City. And I agree. That's exactly right. He was God's man of covenant, and it caused him to become very rich, the Bible says, very rich. And God has nothing against riches. He has nothing against his people being rich. What he what he's against is his people holding riches in importance over him. The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money. When you start to love things more than you love God, that's evil. That's wrong. But for people that love God, let me tell you something. God will bless you financially and materially. He will bless you. And as long as you can make yourself, like I was teaching the other night where you begin to understand, I'm just a steward of the things that God's put in my hand. That's all. I'm a steward of the things that God has put in my hand. It's all his anyway. If he told me to give it, I would give it. If he told me to sow it, it's gone. I don't, they don't hold on to me. I hold on to it. You see, so take a minute to share this because we're jumping in now seven things. And I want you to follow along with me. Seven things. Um, 
that, that you need to see from scripture that will take you from where you are into a wealthy place. They'll take you from where you are currently into a wealthy place. Number one, and somebody that's on today, put this in the comments section, pop these in for people that are watching later. Number one is the debt principle, the debt principle. That's the first, the baseline, if you will. What does the Bible say about it? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse seven, it's funny to me that you start talking about Christians being rich and you talk about wealth and you talk about uh, all this and the viewership drops because people are, have the hardest time receiving this kind of teaching. It blows my mind. I could te- talk about the rapture. I could talk about all these other things. We could talk about, you know, the virus. We could talk about protection jumps up to 160 to 200 people. And you start talking about uh, God wanting his people to be financially wealthy and it drops under a hundred. It's funny to me because it's the thing that Christians need to hear and, and that they need to actually have access to, to be impactful for the kingdom. And, and something about our flesh, something about the carnal realm makes us try to reject the teaching of God's word on the subject. Look at this. N- number one, the debt principle, Proverbs 22, seven in the new living, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. The borrower is servant to to the lender. So number one, the first, the first principle that you've got to see is that there's a debt principle. Debt is an evil thing. It's crushing. It's destructive. It keeps you from being able to do what you're called to do. Debt is evil. It's crushing. It brings so much stress on people's minds. It brings so much stress on marriages. It brings so much stress on the children living in the homes that are filled with debt because they hear their parents screaming and fighting about money and and we don't have enough to pay the bills and I can't believe you spent money on that. How in the world you we've already talked about this and we're supposed to be trying to get out of this and pay these bills before you and you went out and bought that. I can't but and people freak out And it's one of the top things that's listed on divorce papers, that there's financial pressure and people just decided to call it quits because, you know, we can't deal with the fact that there's just so much, we're going to go it alone because there's so much financial pressure. Debt is crushing. Debt is stressful. Debt is wrong. It's not supposed to be part of the life of God's people. We're not supposed to spend 40 years under crushing debt, never being able to get out. But let me tell you, the majority, and somebody could look it up and do the Google search. I didn't prepare statistics for you because I'm teaching from the scripture. But um, you you just do the Google search for yourself. I mean, I know Dave Ramsey has, has uh, statistics on this. The majority of Americans, we're not, not even going around the world, the majority of Americans are under mounds of credit card debt. Probably over 80% of Americans, I don't know for sure, you could check it, probably over 80% of of Americans are somehow under the stress of credit card debt or student loan debt. Uh, And understand, they're just like in crushing debt. It's like every day I'm thinking, I got to get out of debt. I don't know how I'm going to pay these bills. I don't know how I'm going to be free from debt. I just, I got to keep, and people are so stressed out because of it. And then you have something like this hit the nation where there's a shutdown and people start freaking out. Because like, oh, now I can't go to work. Now I can't get a paycheck, but I still have payments that are coming due and I still have to pay credit card payments and student loan payments and I don't have any money. And 
what is 80% or more are under some kind of crushing credit card, student loan debt. It's the debt principle. You have to understand that God does not want you to be in debt. The Bible says, oh, no man, anything except the gospel. Oh, no man, anything except the gospel. Uh, God promised his people in the old covenant. I quoted it earlier. You will lend to many nations and you will not borrow. Now, I'm not teaching you. Let me clarify something because I'm not teaching you that it's a sin to be in debt. I'm not saying that it's a sin to be in debt. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's not God's desire. It's not his plan for you to be in debt. He doesn't want you to be. I'm not telling you that if you have credit card debt, you're living in sin. That's not what I'm teaching today. I'm saying it's not God's desire for you. Nick is saying, Nick, who's a financial advisor and coach, 82% of American families have an average of $16,000 plus of credit card debt. You see that? So that's what I was saying. 82% of American families have an average of $16,000 plus of credit card debt. So you can see what I'm talking about. It's a crushing feeling. It's a crushing feeling and it causes stress in your relationships. Now your marriage isn't functioning the way it should. Now, even the joy you could have to spend time with your children. Now you're so stressed out. You're just sitting around with that on your mind. You're irritable. You're yelling about stuff. People can't deal with it. People are calling it quits. Why? Because it's never. it was never God's desire for his people to be in debt to the spirit of the world. And so he said, you'll lend. When I bless you, this is what God promised him. When I bless you, Deuteronomy 28, you'll lend to many nations and you'll never borrow. Why? Because the borrower becomes a slave to the lender, becomes a slave. If you don't pay the lender, what happens? They come and take everything away from you. They take you to court. They sue you. You go bankrupt. You don't have the money to pay back. So your car is gone. Your house is gone. They come and take your furniture. That's a, that's a slave. I'm a slave to the lender. I'm a slave to the lender. So God wants us to be free from debt. That's number one. Do everything you can in your power to be free from debt. Everything you can in your power. And let me tell you, there are things that people do that you think, well, and I've heard, I've even heard people mock this, you know, mocking actual using wisdom and planning. It's, don't mock wisdom and planning. That's a foolish thing to do. Don't mock wisdom and planning. One of the reasons that I like guys like Dave Ramsey is because, first of all, he's a Christian, but second of all, I've listened to the things he says to people who are in debt, and one of the things I appreciate is that he never uh, tells people to pause their tithing. I've never heard, I've actually said heard him say the opposite, don't pause your tithing uh, to your church while you're in the process of getting out of debt. Don't, you know, continue to put God first. Well, that's wisdom. That is wisdom. When my wife and I, when we were young in marriage and we were under like $20,000 uh, of credit card debt, we never, not only did we never stop our tithing, we never stopped our large giving to the church. And in less than two years, I think it was like a year and eight months, something like that, we were completely out of $20,000 of credit card debt. I put God first no matter what. And so work hard. The, if, if uh, one of the things that, that's, and this is a helpful thing for many Christians, because many, many of us don't read and many of us don't study like we should, but one of the greatest, um, books that's just written by a guy that was by Dave Ramsey. One of the greatest books that any Christian could read 
in regards to natural wisdom on this is called The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. And he, he helps people to understand how you can just use natural wisdom to get out of the crushing blow of debt over your life. It's natural wisdom, but it's scriptural principles to get out and to stay free, stay free. And don't, don't pause your tithing or your giving. It's, it's, that would be, a, now you're disobeying the word of God and God can't bless someone who disobeys his word. So that book will help you. But number one, stay free from debt. Don't go out. And this no, step number two is going to help you. Step number two is going to help you. The second principle, the first principle is the debt principle. Work hard. Yes, it is, Kristen, because it doesn't just deal with getting free from debt. It deals with how to build wealth in your life and the steps that you should take in order to uh, build wealth. The second, the second principle that you need to understand and, and employ in your life as a Christian is the contentment principle. The contentment principle. Very important that you get this. Somebody put it in the comments. Number two, the contentment principle. Let me read to you 1 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Listen to this. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Verse 8. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them, plunge them into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So the second principle is the contentment principle. You've got to learn to be content with now now this this one needs explaining because there's people that use this to try to argue that you shouldn't believe God for overflow or shouldn't try to make a plan to go and and to obtain more and to have overflow or excess in your life. That is not what Paul is teaching Timothy in this second letter. What he's teaching in context, read the whole context. The context is this. There are people who crave wealth. There are people who have a love for money and things, and they do anything they can do to get money and to get things. And they, once they get it, they love it. They hoard it. And they actually love it more than they love God. That's not what Paul's not teaching. Don't believe God for more because then how would you ever explain the fact that he's a God of more than enough? He's El Shaddai, the many breasted one, the one who is able to provide more than enough. You know, if think about this, for example, if God didn't want his uh, children to have any more than what they needed, then why did God promise his children in Deuteronomy 28? I won't just bless your basket. I'll bless your storehouse. The basket's all you need for today. But he didn't say, I'll just bless your basket. He said, I'll bless your storehouse. That's the extra. That's what you're saving, saving up, storing up. So why, so why in the world, a, a God who sees excess as evil, would he promise to give you excess? That's counterintuitive and it's foolish. That's not what Paul's teaching. Paul's teaching, don't get greedy. Don't become greedy. 
Don't become a person that's craving money, craving things, and your desire for things has pierced you and the love of money, which becomes the root of all kinds of evil in your life. You know, the people that do that at the extreme level, you know what they end up doing? They start robbing from other people. They start laundering their money so they don't have to pay taxes. They start doing things crooked on the side so that they can actually have more money because they crave money. So they do wicked things, the Bible says, in order to get more money. And that's what Paul's teaching against. He's not saying don't believe for excess. He's not believing. He's not saying don't believe for the blessing of God in your life. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, Tammy. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10. The contentment principle. We need to stop for, for a moment and pray because Billion's mom just got a call from the doctor and said that she should have emergency, emergency surgery to remove the chest lump. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for her mother. In Jesus' mighty name, I curse that tumor, that lump that's in the chest, and I command it to dissolve and it be benign in Jesus' name. It shall not be cancerous. Touch her today by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord will give you all the praise and glory for that healing and that miracle in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Number two, it, it is the contentment principle. You've got to learn. One of the things we have in America, one of the things we have in America is no contentment amongst our society. We are being marketed to on a daily basis. We're being told what we should buy. We're telling them how much, you know, we, well, oh, I just bought this like three months ago, but a new one is out. I got to go get the new one and make sure that I have the latest and the greatest of everything that's on the market. And I got to make, and there's people that are, you know what they're doing is that they're living beyond their means. The majority of Americans, as is proven by statistical fact that Nick just gave us, 82% of Americans in 16,000 plus dollars of credit card debt on average. It's a proof that they are living far beyond their means, far beyond their means. And it's, it's a proof that they don't have contentment in their life. They're not happy. Uh, Paul said it that way. He said, I'm content in whatever state I find myself. Remember this, Paul was being heavily persecuted heavily persecuted for doing the work that he was doing for the Lord. But he said, I'm content in whatever state I find myself. You know, it's important to be content. You know, you've got a problem if you can only be happy if you have the latest and greatest of everything. You have to have the latest everything in order to feel contentment. You know what that is? It's really just pride. So that anytime I'm around my neighbors, anytime I'm around my friends, they see that I've got the best stuff that you can possibly have. That's pride. If you can't be happy without a pair of Gucci slippers, if you can't be happy without the latest television, the latest phone, the latest car, if you can't be happy and have joy without those things, then you're missing something. There's a problem because your joy, your happiness is driven by a love for things rather than a love for the Lord. And it causes people to go beyond their means and start buying things they can't afford. I like how Dave says it. Dave said, buying things uh, that they can't afford to impress people that they don't even like. And that's exactly true. We, we don't have contentment uh, in America the way that we should, that God has blessed us. We're so far blessed beyond the average. I mean, like it's insane. It's insane. And we need to learn to be content. And not run out all the time and feel like we have to live beyond our means so, so that we can impress uh, people. It's all pride. 
It's all pride. And so, yeah, exactly. Well, Christian said that just like with iPhones, you know, everybody wants the new one, but the one they have works absolutely fine. And you may get like two, three small little updates that you probably won't even use, but people are ready to go and drop a thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars on another, uh, you know, on another uh, phone, even though the current one works. It's just that they're living beyond their means and they're not content with anything. We've got to learn, like Paul said, and the, and the scripture said here, contentment, contentment, content. Listen to the way he said it. He said, godliness with contentment is itself great wealth is itself great wealth. So I want you to see this. Go on with me to uh, the third principle. The third principle is this, the priority principle. The priority principle. Write that in the comments. Number three, the priority principle. This is from the scripture. Proverbs 21.20, listen to this. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. You see that? The priority principle. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. It's like, you know, you know when it's, uh, it's funny to me because you'll see the people that are like this because you know when it's tax return time. Because when, when everybody gets their tax returns, everybody's got new shoes, they got new sunglasses, they got new, I mean, it's like, it's so funny to me. These people stand out from the crowd so, so easily and so clearly. It's so funny <laughs> that they, they understand, well, I'm getting money. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to spend it as soon as I get it. The Bible says that's a foolish thing to do. Fools spend whatever they get. Fools spend whatever they get. The Bible says the well, the wealth, the wise have wealth and luxury. Well, what is the difference between in this in this um, proverb? I mean, if you go back and forth between the two, how do you differentiate between a fool and a wise person? Well, according to this proverb, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. So, what's the difference? The difference is the wise don't spend everything they get; they save it. They they save it. That's exactly right. Pastor Sharon, they're rich for a week. This, this one here says that they, they don't spend. Wise people don't spend everything they have. They save it. They save it. They prioritize. They pri and I'll give you another step here. People are willing to go do things. They'll, they'll do, they'll do uh, step four before they do step one. What do I mean by that? Well, there's people that owe money on things. There's people that there's things they should have paid. There's things they should have done. But rather than doing that, they'll put it off and go just buy something that they want. I mean, literally, this is so bad. I was just talking with my father-in-law about this because uh, we, were talking to, we were talking about insurance companies. Insurance companies in Florida have so changed their practices because, listen to this, people back in the 90s, you know, when all the hurricanes were hitting Florida, people would get their houses destroyed by flooding or by, you know, actual damage, uh, roof busted in or whatever. Um, and, and people would get the payouts from the insurance companies. And, you know, they'd get, you know, 60, 70, $80,000 from the insurance company. And what was happening was uh, they would just take the money 
and go on cruises or go do things they want to do, go on vacations and never repair the homes. And so the companies, the mortgage companies were losing out on their investments now because the homes were destroyed. Homes were destroyed and they weren't repairing them rather than by priority doing what they should have done, the smart thing. These people that were unrestrained just going out and spending all that money on other things and never repairing the home. That's an extreme case of what I'm talking about in the priority principle. You have things that you should do. Obviously, tithing and giving to the Lord is number one, honoring his, his house is first. But you should be saving things, the Bible says. The, this is what the wise do, that keep them in a place of wealth. They save things. They don't spend everything they have. It's wrong to do that. And it keeps you from being wealthy the way that the Lord wants you to have excess abundance and overflow. Look at this. What, uh, Daniel's asking a question. What about someone who basically gives away everything he gets? Is there a level of giving that is unwise? You know, one of the things, there might be times, like, let me give you an example. There might be times in your life that the Lord tells you to give away everything you have. And that's happened for me and Carolyn multiple times where the Lord has spoken to us, not just to give like what we made from our paycheck or not just to give like what we had in our checking account, but there were times in our life where the Lord will test you, where he said, uh, don't just give everything in your checking account, give everything in your savings account and give everything in your money market account. Put it all together and give it into the, into the work of my kingdom. So we did what the Lord said. Now in the natural, I mean, like if Nick, Nick was on, you know, a natural uh, money manager uh, that doesn't understand the scripture may say, hey, that's that's very unwise to do. You've got savings, you've got money market, you've got stuff set aside. Very unwise. Do not clean out the accounts. But someone who understands the voice of the Lord does not consider an instruction from the Holy Spirit to be unwise. We understand God is wisdom. God is wisdom. So if I understand that, if he gave me an instruction, I'm going to obey the instruction over what is naturally wise. Because his ways are higher than my ways, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. So that means that because his ways and thoughts are higher than mine, Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 and 9, I'm going to do what the Spirit of God says rather than what I decide to do or what man says is wise. And so I don't think that God will ever penalize you, Daniel. God will never penalize you for walking in Faith. Why would God penalize his children for operating in faith? So I don't believe that God would penalize you for doing something that is, number one, commanded in his word. Giving is something he commands and expects. But I don't think he would penalize you. But do I always believe that God is expecting you to give everything you have away all the time? I don't, ex I don't believe he expects you to do that at all. I believe he'll honor your faith for doing it, but I don't believe he expects you to do it. We know that tithing is set in place by God, and then God will lead you and guide you vert regarding your seeds that you sow. But if somebody were to ask me, do you think that God expects me to always give sacrificially in such a way that there's nothing left over? I don't believe that. I don't believe that he expects you to do that because there are other things that God expects you to do. As, in, as found in these verses, he expects you to be wise and have, you know, first of all, the Bible says that anyone who does not take care of his family, provide for his family is worse than an infidel. The Bible says that 
So if you were to give in such a way that like, for example, for me, if I gave in such a way, and, and I'm just taking out of it the equation that God always blesses back with a harvest, but let's just say I was donating money so much so that I couldn't, you know, feed or clothe my family. I couldn't pay my house payment or whatever, whatever else it was. And now my family is defunct. And, and, you know, I can't feed my kids and I can't clothe them and I can't buy them school uh, supplies or even the homeschooling that we're doing. That's unwise. And it makes me a bad father and a bad husband and a bad spiritual leader because I didn't prioritize my family. This is what I'm talking about. This is number three, the priority principle. You have to do what's priority. And so we put God first in tithes and offerings and our family comes next. We take care of our families And we make sure we do what the Bible says wise people do. And so, Daniel, I commend you on your giving without question. Of course, those of you who may not know, Daniel's one of our partners for for our ministry. And he's a a, a wonderfully generous partner. But let me tell you, uh, I commend you, Daniel, for your faithfulness to the kingdom and and for your giving. And I've been standing with you, and so has Carolyn, that God's going to abundantly bless you. But if you're asking me, do I believe, does God expect you to always give everything you have? No is the answer. I don't believe he expects you to always give everything you have. And again, there might be times he asks you. It's happened to me. It's happened to my father. It's happened to many people. And he's testing you to see if you'll obey him. And then your obedience in a test brings the blessing of heaven. So priority is number three, prioritizing. What's the priority? And that's why I recommended that book to you guys, um, the... um, Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. He gives you a step-by-step process that is wise, that is wise to not just get out of debt, but the steps you should take to build wealth for your family while still uh, making. And you know what I like is that at the end of it, he said, what's the goal? What's the purpose of becoming a wealthy person? And, And I like his goal. It's to become an even more generous giver to my church, to the work of God, and to see these things impact the world. I like that goal. That's why I want to be wealthy. That's why I want to be and stay in a place of excess and overflow because I want to be a blessing to my generation. I want to be a blessing to families around me. I want, like Abraham, I want to be a blessing to those that come in contact with me. I never want to be a liability. I never want to be a person that's always needing someone to give me a handout. No, I want to be the one that's giving the handouts. I want to be the one that's feeding the children around the world. I want to be the one that's paying for other people's dinners. I want to be the one that's buying groceries for other houses. I want to provide Thanksgiving and Christmas for other people's families. Why? Because I'm a blessing. I'm blessed to be a blessing. But if I don't prioritize what's important in my life and walk in wisdom, I'll never get to that place. I'll never get to that place. 80 some percent of Americans are not even close to being able to do that for anybody because they're going paycheck to paycheck, hoping that they, that their debts don't get called in on them. And that's not God's desire for your life. So number three, the priority principle, do first what should be done first. Do first what should be done first. And that book will help you. Number four, number four, the planning principle. This is scriptural. The planning principle. I want you to take this and put it in your notes. Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 30. Listen to this. But don't begin until you count the cost. 
For who would begin construction on a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. Verse 30, they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. And so number four, the planning principle. You should have a plan. <laughs> I mean, like if you think you're just going to to wing it through life and think that things are going to turn out uh, in a place of overflow and abundance, you don't understand how God works. God always works with a plan. What did he give Noah? A plan. What did he give Abraham? A plan. What did he give Isaac? A plan. What did he give Jacob? A plan. What did he give David? A plan. You have to have a plan. You've got to have a plan. What did, what did God give the early church? A plan. They had a plan. How do you think that the early church had no needs or wants among them? That everyone was fully supplied. How do you think they got to that place? By living on a plan. Luke chapter 14, Kelly, verses 28 through 30. Luke 14, this is key or principle number four, the planning principle. That's right. Abundance of wealth is supposed to fund the last day move of God. That's exactly right. And it's sadly, many people are not going to operate in an abundance of wealth because they won't live by supernatural scriptural principles. They won't live by uh, scriptural principles. And so what's the key? The key is this, there's got to be a plan that you get from the Lord. And even, you know, think about this, even a natural plan, even a natural plan. I mean, you know, for example, you know how much money you can make. You know how much money you make at your job, not to say that your job is your source, but you know, it's your source of income at the moment, one of them anyway. And so you may write down, you know, I make $2,000 a month or whatever. Uh, and I'll use that because it's an easy number. Well, you know right off the bat, if that's your take-home pay, $2,000, well, you know right off the bat, 200 of that in tithe is going to the Lord, which leaves you $1,800. And then you pray and say, Lord, what seeds do you want me to sow? What is it that I'm going to be stirred by the Spirit to sow? And then you look, and I mean, it's crazy to me that in their in people's plans, they never make a plan to save anything. That always, that always blows my mind. They never make a plan to save anything. When we saw here clearly that a wise person doesn't spend everything they have. So a, watch this, and I want you to put it in the comments. A wise plan doesn't plan to spend everything. Put it in the comments. A wise plan doesn't plan to spend everything. That's scriptural, by the way. That's what Proverbs was all about that I just read you a moment ago. A wise plan does not plan to spend everything <laughs> at all. At all. You know, um, one, 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 one principle that I've seen employed by people is the 10-10-80 principle, if you've ever heard of that. The 10-10-80 principle. And that is, uh, living and doing everything you can do off of 80% of your income, 10% is your tithe, 10% is your savings. That's one of many principles I've seen employed. The 10, 10, 80. 10 goes to God, 10 goes to savings, I live on 80%. And that includes my seeds come out of the 80%, what I sow into the kingdom, everything else I'm doing. 
Why? Because a wise plan does not plan to spend everything. That's against scripture. If you sit down with a monthly budget, and by the time you're done with your monthly budget, 100% of the money is gone and spent with nothing in saving. That's not a wise plan. That's not a sustainable plan. You can't live, because what are you going to do? Live the rest of your life, even you know when you live into your 80s and 90s, because God's given you health and strength, and you're still going to be working 50 hours a week at 90 years old? It's not a sustainable plan. So you've got to do what the Bible teaches and use wisdom and use a wise plan. Wise people live in wealth and luxury because they don't spend everything they have. That's the key. Live, and it's, you know this, it sounds like it's so, well, that sounds pretty obvious. Oh, it sounds obvious, doesn't it? Except 82% of Americans cannot say that they've abided, abided by that principle and are literally living under almost $20,000 of credit card debt because they don't plan wisely and because they have no contentment and they keep on. They keep on buying what they can't afford to buy and putting it on credit cards and putting it on credit cards and putting it on credit cards. Ariana said, if you keep a percentage of your income from each check and sow the total as an offering at the beginning of the year, is that first fruits? The fr- In all honesty, the first fruits was actually supposed to be the first fruits. It was actually the first of what you made or had that went to the priests. It was actually the first. It wasn't like at the end of the year, they saved up what would be like one. It was actually the very first and best went to the priest. So that if you're being literal, that's, that's what it was. Amen. I Lynn Ann, I, I believe that's what uh, JC Penny said. You know, he, he got to the place where he lived off 10% of his income and gave 90 away. That's a great goal to have, but there's gotta be a plan in place to not spend everything you have every single month. You have to have a plan to make sure that, as I said, the planning principle, I've got to have a plan written down. I've got to know what is taking place. I've got to know what is happening. And so that's how you have to, that's how it has to work or else, or else, you know, God's not a God of chaos. He's a God of wisdom. He's a God of details. He's a God of planning. That's right. AJ. 58% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings. And that's true. And that's why Dave Ramsey says the very first thing you should do before starting to pay any debt back or pay your credit cards off or anything is get $1,000 cash and have it uh, set aside. And it's an emergency fund only. Because if you start trying to pay your credit cards off and then something happens, knocks you out of paying them off and now you're back in debt again. He said, work hard. Step number one is to get $1,000 in cash and uh, yeah, exactly. And keep it somewhere for emergencies. That book will help you guys, but then go further with me here. The, the, uh, the next thing, the uh, four was the planning principle. Number five is the temple principle. Number five, the temple principle. I'm coming to the end here. I've got to, I've got to get moving on this. Haggai one, Haggai one, three through 11. Haggai one, three through 11. Listen to this. Then the Lord said, that's right. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you, listen, listen to the questions God's asking. Listen to the questions God's asking. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much, 
but you harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. This I will take, then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew from the earth and produces no crops. I've called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you've worked so hard to get. You see what God's saying there? He's saying, I'll make sure that you don't have the harvest that you're believing for because you have purposely dishonored my house. You've purposely, this is a very, very important principle that many people never catch. And I'm going to share it with you. It's something that my wife and I have made up in our minds that we will employ at all times. And we've never broken away from it. Never. In 15 years of being together, we have never broken away from the temple principle. What is the temple principle? God's house is first. God's house is first. That's my principle. You know what my principle is? And this is found here in the scripture. My principle is I will never make God's house less than my house. I will never make sure that I'm living luxuriously and that I'm so blessed and that I have everything and God's house gets nothing. That will never be me. And if you've heard Carolyn and me teach on how we view our giving towards God's house and how we operate even with each other and our children, you'll know what we've set in place as a safeguard to make sure that that never happens to us. And this is our safeguard, that we would never do anything for each other or for our children, that we have not done more for God's house first. What do I mean by that? I would never, ever have, I would never buy my wife anything that, uh, cost a thousand dollars. If I've never given God a thousand dollars, it would never happen. It would never, ever happen ever because my wife is not more important than God. I'm not more important than God. So she'd never do the same for me. My children are not more important than God. I would never do it to them. So understand this. We put God's house first. I will never You know, I can't imagine buying, you know, having my wife buy me or me buy her something like a Rolex so that even if you got like a used one, uh, like the cheapest used one, you could probably get anywhere between, you know, five and six thousand dollars, fifty eight hundred, fifty five hundred dollars for like a Submariner or something like that. That's extremely cheap, by the way, extremely cheap. But let's just say for um, a round number, five thousand dollars, which you'd be getting a real deal if you bought a $5,000 Rolex. But I would never buy that for my wife, ever, if we had never given God a $5,000 offering. Can you imagine what that says to God? It says, Lord, this watch that's on my wrist is more important than your kingdom because I was willing to spend more money on this watch than I would have ever given in an offering or have ever given in an offering. That's what it says to God. 
That's what it says to God. And that's what God's rebuking in Haggai chapter one. How is it that you live in luxurious houses and have luxurious things while my house lies in ruins? That's exactly what God's teaching. And so we've made up in our minds that the temple principle is our safeguard, that we will never allow our own lives, what we have, what we do to be more important than what we do for God or to be greater than what we do for God. Not going to allow it to happen. It'll never happen. And so I want you to think about this because it, it, it is something that we say by our actions, something we say by our actions. I saw, I saw a preacher one time. He was the pastor of a church. He was, and listen, let me preface this remark that I'm about to say by saying, I am all for preachers being abundantly blessed. I mean, abundantly blessed. The Bible teaches they're worthy of double honor. If you study it out, it means double wages, double pay. I am all for every believer being in total extreme prosperity. Nothing that you would ever have as a believer would offend my faith or offend me. If, if every person watching me, if every person watching me on here had a private jet, I would not by any means be upset and say, I can't believe there's Christians on my broadcast today that have their own private jet. I want you to be blessed to abundance. If you had 10 homes, I wouldn't be offended by that. I believe in excess. I believe in prosperity. I believe in being blessed to be a blessing. No question about it. But I saw this preacher who was driving around town. He was a pastor of a church. He was driving around town in a Cadillac Escalade EXT. New, beautiful, beautiful vehicle. And again, I want pastors to drive the best. I want preachers to have the best. I want Christians to have the best. It's not reserved for rappers that like objectify women and CEOs of companies that are sleeping around on their way. It's not reserved for them. Christians should be blessed. But this guy was driving a Cadillac EXT brand new around town and his church had indoor outdoor carpeting that you'd put on like a patio in the sanctuary. I don't know why that hit me so hard when I saw it. I thought like, you've got crap carpet in your sanctuary. I mean, like, first of all, carpeting a building is one of the cheapest cheapest things you can do. I mean, like, it's not like I'm expecting marble floors to be laid in or tile or, you know, hardwood flooring. He had crappy indoor, outdoor carpeting that you'd put in a garage or a patio where there's going to be water all over the place in the, in the sanctuary, the worst of the worst God's house had the worst of the worst. And he's driving around in the best of the best to me. That's a picture of Haggai chapter one. You live in luxury while God's house looks like crap because you don't care about the temple of God. You don't care about the house of God. So while I am for everybody being blessed, I am not for people being blessed at the expense of God's house and his work suffering because people have put themselves over God's house. And that's why my wife and I have made up in our minds, we will never, we will never, ever violate the temple principle that God comes first and the best goes to him. I want to make sure that he is getting the best from me and my wife. God first. God first. And so, yes, a poverty mindset can keep you poor, Karen. And I'll deal with more about that in maybe another broadcast. So I want you to hear that. 
Keep God first. Keep sowing seed first. Make sure that you actually take thought. Take thought about what you're doing. You know, take a thought about it. You know, it still offends my face to this day. If I see somebody that's sitting around, I look at their watch, I look at their watch, I look at their shoes in church. I've seen this happen so many times. I look at the shoes they're wearing, look at the watch, and I'm not judging God's servants. I'm just saying I observe this. I look at their watch, look at their shoes. They got a nice suit on. They got, you know, they've got frames. Their glasses frames are like designer frames. And then it's offering time. And I look over and I notice them pulling out an envelope from the pew or the chair and then pulling their wallet out and pulling a $20 bill or a $10 bill out and putting it in the envelope to give in the offering. And I look at them and I think to myself, I can't understand people like that. Like it's beyond me. I can't, I can't understand. Well, brother, maybe that's all that they have. Oh, if so, why are they wearing designer Tom Ford glasses frames? How come they have on a beautiful suit? Why do they have on beautiful dress shoes and a nice Rolex watch? Or, or, you know, even if it's not a Rolex, something nice, it's a citizen, you know, or it's a, you know, something that, you know, costs money and pull out a $10 bill or a $20 bill and put it in an envelope and think they're doing God a service or a favor. Well, I gave in the offering. You didn't give anything. You don't care about the things of God, basically is what I think when I see it, because you can see that they believe they believe in spending it on them. Let me tell you, when church is over, they don't mind going out to a steakhouse and paying a $200 steak bill, something they would, think about this, something that they will eat and very quickly poop out of their body. <laughs> think of it that way. Something that I will eat and a few hours from now will poop out of my body and will never be a part of me again. But I'm willing to spend $200 for that experience while I slipped a $20 bill in an offering plate. It's ridiculous. And peop- it's literally ridiculous. And people think, yeah, I gave, brother, I give in the offering. You don't give anything. It means nothing to God. It means nothing because he sees the rest of your life. Remember, it's not preachers that judge. It's not other Christians that judge. God is the judge. He knows the thoughts and the intents of your heart. And so he knows what you do for yourself. He knows what you do for your wife and for your husband. He knows what you do for your children and for your vacation. And he also knows what you do for him. And remember, he's the source of increase. So when he sees what you're doing, see, that's why when I teach on offerings, I give the principle of the widow's mites because rich men came down and threw their offerings into the, into the, into the basket. But then the woman came and placed her two uh, coins, one translation says, and Jesus said she gave more than all these others. And the disciples couldn't understand it. Look how much they gave and look how little she gave. He said, it's not about that. It's about what she gave in ratio to what she had. In, in ratio to what she had. And he said, that's why it's far more because it's based on what she did for me, based on what she had for herself. That's a principle that I'll never violate in Jesus name. <laughs> Mike said, is that the poop principle brother did? <laughs> God does know. Number six, let me get through these other two and then we're going to pray. Number six, the generosity principle, the generosity principle. God expects his children to be generous children. It's part of our Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis that now comes to us through Christ in Galatians chapter three. What does the Bible says in Genesis 12 two? Say in Genesis 12 two, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. 
I will bless you. I'll make you, I'll bless you, make you famous, and you'll be a blessing to others. You know, it's a very interesting thing. I mean, I, mean, I could get into this. I don't, I don't necessarily, well, maybe I'll get into it in the next one. But, but understand this, generosity. Generosity is so important. We're not just supposed to give offerings in, in the church. I'm called to bless the world. One of the main ways I'm called is to bless the poor. And I need to talk about this because it's one of the things that God expects from his children. It's why when you give to this ministry, that's why I play the video at the beginning, a portion, a large portion, by the way, because we're in the top 1% of givers to feed the hungry. We're in the top 1%, Miracle Word Ministries, top 1% in the world of all of their donors that they have. We stand at the very top of the top. So we don't take it lightly. When God said, bless the poor, when God said, feed the hungry, when God said, make sure that you're taking care of those that are without, we don't take that lightly because the Bible says that those who lend to the poor are lending to the Lord and God will repay them for it. That's why uh, Stefan Radlich quoted that verse at the beginning of the broadcast, what the Bible says about lending to the poor, you're giving to the Lord and God will repay you. So I want you to understand, we don't take that lightly. We're in the top of the top that give. When you sow into this ministry, that's that's what's taking place, is that a portion of it is going to bless the poor because we're commanded to do that. If I was not somebody who had more than enough, I would never have anything. to. Get. If all we could do was pay our bills, pay our bills, pay our bills, we don't have enough to tithe. We don't have enough to give. We don't even have enough to bless the poor. So just think rationally. If I don't live in the overflow, I can't even obey the basic commands of Scripture. The basic commands, bless the poor, tithe, give. That's why we need the overflow to be a blessing. As God promised Abraham in Genesis, you will be a blessing to others. You're called to be a blessing to others. You are called to be a blessing to others. In fact, I want you to write it in the comments. I am called to be a blessing. I am called to be a blessing. Put it in the comment section. Every person that's watching, I am called to be a blessing. That's principle number six, the generosity principle. Yeah, that's wonderful, Lenan. That's wonderful to be a blessing to others. She's saying she likes to do is buy a bunch of $20 gift cards and go to the local grocery store and bless people while they're shopping. You know, even if it's $20, they get blessed by somebody doing that to them. You're going to give me 20 bucks? Yeah. I just feel to bless you just to say I love you and Jesus loves you. Have you ever seen those videos on Facebook at people standing at the register? And when people go to check out with their groceries, they step in and pay for all of the groceries. And then when they say, why would you do that? They say, well, Jesus, we want you to know that I love you and Jesus loves you. And there's people that are praying for you. I mean, you talk about something that'll shake somebody up and show them the love of God in a practical way. Carolyn and I like to do that often. We'll pay for people's dinners and stuff. We don't even know who they are. We'll be in a restaurant and the Lord will say, pay for that person's dinner, pay for that person's dinner, and not even tell them. One time we were in the in a restaurant and uh, we were we were at, uh, getting ready to be seated and, and Carolyn was seated or we were, we were standing getting ready to be seated and we saw this lady over there sitting by herself eating her dinner. And the Lord spoke to Carolyn and said, pay for that woman's whole check or whatever. And so we got the waitress to bring it over to us and we paid for that lady's meal. Well, you know, when it was time for her to pay, the, the waitress said somebody else already took care of it. And she's like looking around the restaurant. She doesn't know anybody in there. And then she just leaves and goes out to her car. Well, Carolyn felt 
to go out and invite her to the revival that we were holding that week. So she goes out to the car. And, you know, it wasn't even a lot of money. It's just her eating by herself. Well, at maximum, it could have been more than 40, 50 bucks. And so she goes out to the car. And there's that woman just, she didn't even start her car. She didn't even get ready to drive away. She's just sitting in her car crying, weeping that somebody would buy her dinner. Somebody would bless her like that. Sitting in her car crying over what? 40, 50 bucks. That's nothing. And she rolled down her window. My wife began to talk to her and she said, I couldn't believe it. Somebody would be willing to pay for my dinner. The bless- That's nothing to make an impact on somebody's spirit you know, uh, with the love of Christ. I'm called to be a blessing. You're called to be a blessing. We are generous people. We bless others. We're looking for an opportunity to be blessed. We're not looking. You know what I, what I decided to do? And I know other, uh, others have decided to do the same. But for so many years, there's been so many evangelists on the road that were such takers. They just were takers, takers, takers. May, you may not know this, but like, you know, there were so many years, the evangelists would go and every single expense that they ever incurred, they would hand in, you know, reimbursement papers and receipts to the pastors they were preaching for. Hey, pastor, it cost me this much in gas to get to your church, cost me this much to buy my meals, cost me this much for my dry cleaning. I mean, like literally and handing in receipts. Every meal that during the revival that that was uh, at a restaurant, they expected the pastor and the church to pay for them to eat. Well, I'm your guest. You should be paying for me to be here. And literally, that was the thought process for many years among many traveling ministers. And it was such a, a stain and a mark on the traveling ministry. I made up in my mind, it's going to be very, very hard for anybody that I'm preaching with or for to pay for anything for me. And I've had pastors get frustrated. I can't even get your I can't even get your office to send me over your plane tickets uh, uh, charges for reimbursement. I can't even get your office to send me the hotel reimbursement so that we can from the church reimburse you for your hotel stay. You know what I tell them? That's cuz we don't send reimbursements. Every time that we can go out if I can get the check. I mean, some pastors have gotten so frustrated that they've taken measures now. They've taken measures to get the check before I can get it. But I'll I'll go to the I'll go to the bathroom and stop the waitress and give her my card and take the check. It'll be hard to pay for me. Not that I don't receive blessings, but I have made up in my mind I'm going to be a blessing. I'm going to be And you know what? I, this is a sad thing. I've had so many pastors tell me this. I can't believe that you keep paying for the they, you know, many of them have told me, we've never had a guest in that's paid for a, a meal, let alone all the meals. I mean, think about that. And I'm not saying that to brag on me. I'm talking, I'm trying to prove a point about being a generous, looking for opportunities to be a blessing. God blesses people like that. Give and it shall be given unto you. And so they said, right, we've never had a guest come in and pay for a meal, let alone all the meals. Why are you? We can't, you know, you're our guest. I can't believe you would do. Why would you do that? Because I'm blessed to bless you. I'm blessed to bless you. I'm not going to come in and preach about the blessing of God and the increase of heaven and then expect you to uh, nickel, nickel and dime you for every little thing. I don't do that. We're looking for opportunities to bless people. We are searching yeah, that's right. Brother Frank Nemeth is on. I love, and I was able to bless his grandsons. And I love doing that. I love preachers' kids because I am one. And I love to bless the children of the preachers. I love to do that. 
I want them to know during these revivals that God's got a blessing for you too, for being faithful as a child of the preacher. Anywhere I go, my wife and I, if the preacher has children and we're there, we make sure that we bless them every time we see them, every single time we see them. If Brit's still on, anytime I see Brit's kids, Brady and Zoe, anytime, if they visit one of our meetings, if they come to see Uncle Teddy, if, they, if they're visiting our house or if we're seeing them and stopping through somewhere, I always pull out cash and hand cash to the kids. Why? I am blessed to be a blessing. I'm going to bless others. I will bless others. Generosity. And then finally, number seven, I want you to put in the comments section, the inheritance principle. The inheritance principle. You should have a plan to be blessed to leave an inheritance to your children and your children's children. Two generations. Your children should receive a portion of your inheritance and your grandchildren should. Listen to this. Proverbs 13, 21 through 22. Trouble chases sinners. While blessings reward the righteous. Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. I want you to see that. That's Proverbs 13, 21, and 22. Trouble chases sinners. That's not your story. It's the story of sinners. While blessings reward the righteous. Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. And so there's an inheritance principle. The principle is I'm to be blessed so that my kids will be blessed abundantly and so that my grandkids will be blessed abundantly. My father and mother, Carolyn's father and mother, have been a blessing to me and to my wife. They are godly parents and they have been a blessing. They've not even, you know, they're still alive, obviously. Our, our parents are still alive and well and strong. But they are already blessing us and blessing our children, already doing what the Bible says, already being that one that leaves to those that are in the in the upcoming generations, already a blessing. Think about that. They've not died and left an inheritance in a will. They're still living and strong and are already blessing us and our children. That's your story too. Your children will be far more blessed than you were as a child. Your grandchildren will be far more blessed than you were as a child. And so there is a key. Obviously, you know, it's important because the reason I touch on this is because I've seen so many people that think there's only one level uh, of being blessed. And all that is is tithing or tithing and giving. Well, let me tell you something. If you tithe and give, but don't have a plan in place and spend all the money you have, how can God ever bless you? I tithe, I give, and I still have nothing left over. That's because you don't have a plan. That's because you do what the Bible says not to do and spend all you have. It's it's because you don't, you. so you have to understand, it's all of these things together. It's building a life in wisdom. It's building a life in wealth and understanding. God has a desire to bless me. God has a desire to make me wealthy. And that's the key. God wants to bless you. God wants to make you wealthy. I want to pray a prayer over everybody that's watching. I'm believing, and we've been confessing this, 2020 is going to be your year of violent increase and expedited favor. Violent increase and expedited favor. That things you've never seen come to pass 
are coming to pass for you in 2020. Maybe you have felt like I'll never get out from underneath this debt. We're believing God that debts will be canceled in 2020. My friend, Pastor Brian Wright at his church in North Carolina, it was either last year or the year before, they had over 900 and some thousand dollars, almost a million dollars of debt canceled in one year for his people at the church, for, for people that attend the church, not for the church, for the people. Almost a million dollars of debt canceled in one year for, for God's people. Won't God do the same for you? Of course he will. Of course he will. And so I want to pray and ask God that as you're doing these things that we're teaching, that the increase of heaven will come to you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every man, every woman that's uh, watching this or listening to this. Let this be the year that they stand in the wisdom of God, obey what the word of God says, and see the increase of heaven come upon their finances and their financial life, that that debts will be canceled, that uh, cars, homes will be paid off, student loans will be paid off and canceled. We thank you, Lord, for it. And we receive the wealth of heaven, what Jesus died for. We stand in our covenant and we receive what God said belongs to us in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you and we give you praise. Amen. I'm going to answer that question in just a minute. Now I'm going to challenge you to step out and sow a seed. I'm going, to, I'm going to challenge you at the end of this broadcast to step out and be generous as the Lord's leading you and sow a seed. Here's a question right here that just came up. Are we to attach a purpose to our seeds, to our offerings? I struggle with that. Like I'm doing it if for X, Y, Z. Well, one of the things that you can remember is this. You can always sow towards something. No question about that. You know, if somebody's taking up a, 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 an offering toward that's going towards soul winning or an offering that's going towards, you know, maybe they're taking it up for an orphanage that they're supporting. or You can always give towards something. The question being, should I attach a purpose to it? Uh, you know, I, I'm doing it if this or... You can't say, well, I'm sowing a seed for my son's salvation. You can't do that. That it doesn't work like that. I'm sowing a seed for my physical healing. You can't do that. That's not scriptural. I'm sowing a seed for my healing. I'm sowing a seed for my family member's salvation. I'm sowing a seed for my peace. No, you can't do that. The Bible is plain. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. That's what the scripture teaches, that you reap the same thing that you sow. If you sow finances, finances are coming back. If you sow love, love is coming back. You know, uh, if so the thing you sow is the thing you receive. A seed reproduces after its own kind. Yes. I mean, you know, if you're, you're sowing towards receiving a home, you know, and say, well, you know, I'm believing that all the money's coming back. So I'm sowing seeds, believing that the harvest is coming back and I'll have my down payment or I'll have the full amount to buy the home. Nothing wrong with that because you need the money to buy the home and the seeds you're sowing are financial seeds. And so believe in God. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that you have to sow seeds. 
I mean, part of the blessing of the Lord that is general, you have to obey the scripture to actually walk in the blessing of the Lord. And so knowing that God opens the doors, he's the one that decides who will rise and who will fall, Psalm 75. God's the one who brings the increase. So I have to actually obey his word to walk in his blessings. But I know, you know, it's not like you have to necessarily, there's a certain seed you've got to sow for a new job. There's a certain seed you've got to sow for. I don't believe it in that way. I believe that as you're being obedient, as you're tithing, as you're giving, as you're being generous, then those things open up to you as the blessing of the Lord. But there's not like a specific seed for a job, a specific seed for a house, a car. As you're blessed, the blessing, the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. All these things. The favor of God comes on those that are obedient. Uh, Ariana's saying, how much are alms? Alms are just things given to the poor. Alms is just things that you would uh, send as a a, a donation or a, uh, a gift to the poor. It's like what we do with feed the hungry. They called that alms then, but we're we're giving to bless the poor. It is separate from regular offerings that you would give to God. Uh, It goes to the poor, not to God. Whereas seeds that we sow into the kingdom of God, they go for the work of the ministry, the work of God. And so that is different. It's a good question. Very good question. Um, I believe that, Lenan. Believing it with you. So I'm challenging you today to sow a seed by faith. And you heard what I said, when the Holy Spirit speaks, he never tells you to do something that's, you know, insignificant. He speaks to you and tells you to do something that will stretch your faith, put your flesh under, and is something that'll cause you to become generous. Even in a time when you feel like, well, how could I do that? It is by faith that we step out and it's by faith God blesses us back. And so I'm encouraging you now, how do you do it? Well, you can always go to miracleword.com You can sow a seed directly on the website there or partner with us there. You can give in the comments on Facebook, Twitter, and Periscope by using hashtag donate. You can give like many people are doing by Cash App using the hashtag MWGive. It's on the screen. There's many people partnering with us. They're giving by uh, PayPal. That information's on the screen. If you'd like to write out a check and send it, or if you want to send somehow uh, a title deed to properties, cars, whatever it might be, you can mail those to our address, which is on the website at the footer of every page on the website. However you'd like to give, today is a day to step out in faith and to watch God increase you. You will not be held back in 2020. The obedient, the faithful will not be held back. It is our year of increase. It is our year of violent increase. Thank you, Kristen, for sowing a seed. It is your year of expedited favor. What does that mean? Favor that's sped up. I'm not gonna have to wait 10 years to receive what God wants to do for me in 10 months or even a month or even a week. God will do it. God will do it. And so thank you. And of course, you know, we're gonna be blessing you with A.A. Allen's book, The Price of God's Miracle Working Power in the month of March. And I'm so excited. Further Faster is finished. It is done. It is done. It's currently in the copy editing phase and is getting ready to be sent to the printer. And I am so happy. So I couldn't be more happy about this than I am that the book is completed. And so it's, it's all being edited. It's going to the printer and then it's coming right to your home. Every person that pre-ordered the book 
It is finally coming straight to your home and uh, you'll be getting that ASAP. For those of you that have not gotten a chance to order it yet, this is a book on the power of impartation, how to accelerate your purpose, what you're called to do, by the force of impartation. There is so little teaching right now in the body of Christ on impartation, and so many people don't even believe in it, it blows my mind. And the Lord said, begin to write and teach, and I'll show you what to say. This book, entitled Further Faster, will help you to understand not only what impartation is biblically, but how to engage that power that God gave us to accelerate your purpose in life, to literally leapfrog past the normal. And you can go to shop.miracleword.com, and right now it's up in the website for you to pre-order the book. So if you've not ordered it, you can order it today. It's up in the store, shop.miracleword.com. And uh, Fabiola, please send an email to Jenna and get in contact with her, uh, jenna at miracleword.com. If, if you haven't seen that yet, uh, then there's an issue because all that stuff was mailed out. So please uh, contact Jenna at miracleword.com and, uh, and get in touch and figure out what's going on. The purchase, Mason, can be made at shop.miracleword.com. The book is available and is going to be shipped very soon. It's getting ready to go to the printer. I'm so excited, man. I've been waiting for a long time for this one. It's late, but I'm pumped. I'm glad that everything's going out the way it needs to because I knew that this was a very important book to release. And so I'm happy. I'm happy with the way it turned out. God is uh, helped me. He's really helped me to do this the way I know it should have been done and uh, inspired me. I already started the next one. I told you the Spirit-Filled Believers Guides are coming out next. The first one's on speaking in tongues, and uh, it's going to bless you, as well as the fictional stuff that we're releasing for Miracle Word Kids. So very, very excited about that. Don't forget, also in the store, Miracle Word Kids Easter boxes are up and available and uh, you'll get a t-shirt of your choice. You'll get the candy. Uh, you will get the Easter story. You'll get a hardcover journal with our logo on it. You'll get a slap bracelet. You'll get uh, the new Miracle Word Kids Tumblr, pink or blue for a girl or a boy, uh, with our logo, a slogan, a slogan on that one as well, screw on tops, the custom box that we printed with all of our uh, confession, everything all over that. It's going to be awesome. It's only 40 bucks. You can get it now for the kids coming up for Resurrection Sunday on the store as well. And uh, it will be a massive blessing to you. And let me say this, a special deal. All of our courses from Miracle Word University are available at a 28% discount. Only $199. That's four months of $50. We have that option as well. 20 plus hours of teaching. It'll bless you. Grab that when you get a chance to do it. It's at miraclewordu.com. And I know it'll bless you in a huge way. Coming up tonight, once again, Spirit of Faith Sessions, number nine tonight. Do not miss it. Tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time, that's New York City time, we're coming back live. And uh, it's going to be a powerful night tonight to build your faith. Don't miss it, man. Do not miss it. I'm so excited for it. And these have been phenomenally attended sessions, and we're putting them all in a playlist on YouTube. So if you wanted to binge watch them all, you can get them all in one place and just let them autoplay all the way down uh, as you're doing stuff throughout your day. So 
It's going to be great. I love you guys so much. We're going to close again with my favorite song. I'm a Pentecostal. Be back tonight at seven. Thanks for sewing. Thanks for giving and standing with us. Carolyn and I love you. We're praying for you. Have a great day. I'll see you tonight at seven o'clock. Later. Oh, yes. Are you thankful for the Holy Ghost? I said, are you thankful for the Holy Ghost? I got to say this again tonight. Oh, I'm a Pentecostal. I am unashamed. Read the book of action. We are still the same. Worship God the Father. Lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire in every way. I'm a Pentecostal. I am unashamed. Read the book of Acts. We are still the same. We worship God the Father. Lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire in every way. I'm a Pentecostal. I am unashamed. Read the book of Acts. We are still the same. We worship God the Father. Lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire. Just our style, the way we do our thing. Oh, we're the Pentecostals that kind in Jesus' name. I'm a Pentecostal, I am not ashamed. We're the book of Acts, we are still the same. We worship God the Father, lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire in every way. the same. We worship God the Father. Lift up Jesus' name. We're Holy Ghost and fire. Can I say it again? Come on, clap those hands. Sound like camp meeting in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In case you didn't hear me, we've been known to get wild. Let our hair hang down. Drink till we get merry, rolling on the ground. We cranked up the music, danced all around. Shouting hallelujah as your glory came down. It's just our style, the way we do our thing. We're the Pentecostals, baptized in Jesus' name. We worship God the Father, lift up Jesus' name, we're Holy Ghost and fire, in every place again, I'm a Pentecostal, I am not a saint, read the word action, we are still the same, we worship God the Father, lift up Jesus' name, we're Holy Ghost and fire, 
crazy, others think we're strange. When I got this Holy Ghost, I could not contain. More exciting than a party, higher than a drug. It's the greatest feeling, being washed in his blood. If you're tired of tradition, religion's done you wrong. You're feeling tired and empty. can change. Feel the fire burning as the spirit fans the flame. There's millions who have come and millions on the way. Leaving their dead churches for this Pentecostal faith. There's a hunger in the world that gets stronger every day. They're crying out for Pentecost. That is why we say When I got this Holy Ghost, I could not contain More exciting than a party, higher than a drug It's the greatest feeling, being washed in His blood If you're tired of tradition, religion's done you wrong Feeling dry and empty, no longer have a song The story's not over, things for you can change Feel the fire burning as the spirit fans the flame. There's millions who have conquered, millions on the way. Living there, their churches for this Pentecostal faith. a hunger in the world that gets stronger every day. They're crying out for Pentecost. That is why we say. Holy Ghost, with the Holy Ghost. Oh, fill me up, fill me up, till I 
Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of. 